I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. And I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 9. Freedom. Super Connectors. It's June. I've lived alone for two months, and my place is coming together. I love it here, actually. Set up how I like it, neat and tidy. No cupboard doors left open, no toilet seats left up. Out every window, you can see the city. And out the bedroom windows, the CN Tower looms huge in front of us, all lit up with different colors at night. The rumble of commuter trains, a new melody. It takes me 10 easy minutes to walk to work each day, 13 minutes in heels. Not having to take public transit anymore improves my life by a million percent. We are downtown. In this way, I feel normal again. I'm in the right place again, physically anyway. Mentally, spiritually, I'm still trying to figure out what direction is up. I was domesticated for so long that I have no idea what people do for fun, which bars or cafes are cool, where to go dancing. My reference point for all that is like 2002. So I start to hang out with the super connectors. You know them? Those friends you have that are connected to all kinds of people and different scenes because they're open and fun-loving and curious and just totally, completely great. I'm lucky to have a few of those friends. One is a woman with a big laugh. She's always laughing, and you can hear it miles away. She's like walking electricity, powering up everything and everyone she touches. So I hitch myself to big laugh as much as I can. I recognize an old me in that energy, a me that once was. Another super connector is a guy I've known for a long time, the one I call Forever 21. He's freewheeling and fun-loving and seems to know everyone in the city. His stories are always about crazy adventures in far-flung places with interesting people. Forever 21 always knows what's happening on a Friday night, and he'll take me there, throwing me into all kinds of spontaneous situations. The best thing about my friendship with him is that we're just friends. No drunken fumbling to regret later. As the years go on, there are plenty of times we'll sleep in the same bed like cousins at a sleepover. He's my pal, my brother. In these early days of June, the weather is already really hot. One Saturday afternoon, Forever 21 texts me saying he knows a bunch of people that are going to hang out in the park. So let's go! We hop on our bikes, stopping at the beer store on the way. Then we sit in the park with a collection of people I've never met. We drink, we talk, we throw a frisbee around, we smoke and eat and drink some more. All day 
I'm really confused by this. They all seem to be in their 30s like me. Don't they have anything to do today other than drink in a park for seven hours, just hanging out like we're 21? No, they don't. Or if they do have errands to run or laundry to do or other shoulds, they don't care. They'd rather enjoy this first real hot day of summer. Enjoy. It's not something I've done in a long time. Enjoy something. I know that sounds crazy, but honestly, I just spent, oh, all my life not enjoying things because of all the other things I should be doing. To just sit in a park at age 37 instead of crossing things off a list? This is big for me. Huge. Forever 21 is beaming. That's what he does. He looks like he's enjoying himself all the time. Being around that kind of energy is powerful for me. I grew up with a lot of negativity, in a culture and in a family where should is the primary driving force, where criticism and advice followed by complaint is the main style of communication. And then there's the guilt. It's on this day, in this park, with my friend and this group of total strangers, that I start to realize the importance of having positive, bright forces in my life. People who are enjoying things. The rest of the summer is an awakening for me. And I'm not just talking about when I finally, in late July, begin to sleep with random men for the first time in my life. It's an awakening that I can let my list-making, constant planning, and guilt fall away a bit. I go with the flow a little more. Forever 21 says, let's go to a soccer game. And I say, right now? But I'm not prepared. And he says, what do you got to be prepared about? Let's go. And we do. We just up and go and see a game with two of his friends I've never met after we just spent seven hours hanging in the park. And you know what? I have the best time. One of his friends at the soccer game, the lawyer, he becomes one of my friends too after that. A few of the other people from the park that day become my friends also, especially one woman, another super connector, the traveler, who sparks an epic trip to New York City. I meet so many wonderful people over the next year, all because of her. Eventually, she'll be the reason I meet the man with the white shirt. She's a tough cookie who's soft on the inside, and she becomes a confidant and a coach and a sister to me. These super connectors remind me how to have fun again. They teach me how to be spontaneous. And that spontaneity is also making me a better parent. The more time goes on, the more relaxed I've become. And Bertie relaxes with me. I'm a lot less do this, do that. We ride the ferry out to the city's islands while she wears a Supergirl costume. I teach her how to use chopsticks in the noodle place up the street from her school. She shouts, you turn, pretty much every time we're in the car, because I always manage to drive in the wrong direction or get lost, so used to having the husband as navigator. But instead of stressing it, I laugh at myself. She laughs with me. I leave dishes in the sink at night and play with her instead. If she takes forever to get dressed in the morning, I make a game of it instead of yelling at her to hurry up. We're feeling breezier. Her temper tantrums disappear. She becomes more of a little pal and less of a little pain in the ass. 
I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but being around the three super connectors has taught me something that's totally cliche, but no less amazing. Don't sweat the small stuff. One more thing. There's a moment that symbolizes this awakening period of my life more than any other. It's 2 a.m. on a hot June night. We're leaving one dive bar to go to another. It's me and Super Connector 1, big laugh, as well as Super Connector 2, Forever 21, and one of his friends. The two guys have bikes, but me and big laugh are on foot, wearing summer dresses. Hop on the back, shouts Forever 21. So of course, big laugh just bunches up her skirt in one hand and hops onto the back of the other guy's bike like that's just a normal thing to do. I stand there dumbly, worried I'm too heavy for his bike, worried about weaving through the traffic of the downtown streets, worried about the logistics since I'm wearing a dress. Like he senses it, Forever 21 shouts, I got ya, no worries, with a smile as wide as the continent. With trepidation, I sit, side saddle, on the back of his bike. I tuck the skirt of my dress up under me, put my arms around his waist, and off we go. And this is the image I will have in me forever. The feeling. The dark 2 a.m. sky. The cars going by. The streetcar rumbling past. Behind me, my friend is cutting the night with her big laugh, enjoying the crazy moment. Wind on my face as the bike weaves through it all, heading to somewhere I don't even know where. And it's okay. It's okay not to know where I'm going to not let fear stop me. Still, sometimes I miss seeing a man's razor nestled in beside my toothbrush. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I, I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Young again. When you have a kid... This thing happens where you start making friends with other people who have kids. Being a parent is the common denominator. Your single friends become these frivolous people who talk about completely abstract things like dancing in a bar until 4 a.m. Or all of the movies they've seen in movie theaters. And they always seem to be complaining about how tired they are. To them, you've become a boring shell of the friend they once knew a parent zombie who posts 300 identical photos of your baby on Facebook and pushes a ridiculously huge and unnecessary stroller around and talks about the cutest thing your kid said for like a half hour. And this is why the natural progression of domestic life is to allow your closest single friends to fall away while you quickly make friends with people who know the real meaning of being tired. People as boring as you. People with kids. 
Now that I'm single, the strangest thing has happened. Although I'm still a mom, I'm only on-duty mom for half the week. The other half, it's like I'm 25 again. Part-time parent, part-time partier. Most of the new friends I'm making, the people I spend my spare time with, are other single women. Oh, you had your soul ripped out by the love of your life? Me too. Let's drink and work on each other's online dating profiles. I also hang out with a bunch of single men. We all trade stories and advice, commiserate, drink. A group of us went to New York City together and stayed in a tiny East Village apartment. We slept a combined total of seven hours over three nights. Went to amazing restaurants, art exhibits, plays, bar after bar after bar. We shopped. We smoked. We did whatever we wanted. It blew my mind. This is how it is with childless people in their 30s, I've discovered. They're living exactly like I did in my 20s. And now, so do I. Half the time. The other half of the time, I'm with our old friends, with their intact marriages and multiple children. And I'm the single one with my only child. My parents' generation had a word for women like me. Divorcee. Whatever you call me, I feel like an outcast now. A fifth wheel. I'm a pity party. Table for one. Everything in this scenario is familiar. Here we are in my friend's house, just up the street from where we once lived. It's that one there, the one with the red door. We were a family there once. Now I'm a divorcee over here. Don't look at me too long, you'll turn to salt. The kids are going wild, running all around the house. The adults talking and laughing in the kitchen. Wait though, something's missing. What feels different? Oh yes, the husband. The ex-husband. He would have been here. He should be here. Instead, it's like one of those games at the back of an old magazine. Circle what's missing. I overhear the kids in the other room. Where's your dad? And Bertie's voice, so tough, yet nonchalant. Oh, I don't know. At home, I guess? The kid, unsatisfied with her response, comes to me and asks, Where is he? I answer honestly. I don't know and my heart sinks into the ground. That's the only thing that's different here. The absence of him. Well, I'm different too. I'm a shelled-out version of who I once was. A shadow. Look at me here, breathlessly recounting dating stories, regaling the room with all of the cool places I've been going and the things I've seen now that I'm a free agent with joint custody. Now that I have all the time in the world. It's a funny thing, actually. Before the breakup, every moment of my life was taken up by Bertie or the husband or my mother or my job or, well, you know, I know you know. There was no time to think, no time to rest, no time to take care of myself. I dream of having an hour to myself, an afternoon. And now, here I am with so much time, I don't know what to do with it. Y 
you can only drink so much. You can only sleep with so many men. And that only fills the time between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m., usually. Don't get me wrong. It's been an incredibly liberating experience. This new phase of my life I never wanted. For the most part, the guys are good-looking and oh-so-young with hard bodies and lovely faces. They have energy. They're generous. They haven't had a chance to be bitter yet. I never give them the chance. My bed smells wonderful for a day or two after they leave. I inhale the pillows like a schoolgirl wearing a boy's sweater for the first time. The smell of a man is something I miss a lot, so I appreciate the lingering of it for as long as I can. Thanks to the husband, I'm young again. And so I tell the stories with relish, as if I need to prove to my married friends that I'm constantly turning lemons into lemonade. Sometimes I am, don't get me wrong, but here, with this familiar crowd, I feel like even the best of my new experiences are still just more lemons. It feels like there's nothing sweet about the life I've constructed in the fallout of my marriage, not compared to their lives. All I feel here is partnerless and glaringly alone. What are you fighting for? One after another, people start telling me how they found out their fathers cheated on their mothers. One of my friends was 14 when she found out, but she wishes her mom would have waited until she was older and mature enough to handle it. At that age, she felt like she didn't have the tools to process it properly. She says it fucked her up about men and trust and love. Another cool young woman I know tells me she knew about her father's affair since the second it happened when she was five years old. She's relaxed about it. Sure, it made her think differently about her dad, but she loves him and they've always had a good relationship. And then there's my friend with her mom's name tattooed on her arm. It's Canada Day, four months since the husband dropped the bomb on me, and we're sitting out under the stars at her parents' cottage. Fireworks in the distance. We're drinking and talking. The hot night air, the mosquitoes, the gaping hole in my chest. I drink more alcohol so I can reach the point where the hole doesn't hurt so much. Where is he? Why isn't he here with me? Over and over in my head. Why isn't he here? I tell my friend that a week ago, the husband came to my place late at night, unannounced. He asked me if I wanted to go see a marriage counselor for what he called a possible reconciliation. Possible reconciliation. This is how he talks sometimes, like a law textbook more than a living, breathing human. But 
I tell my friend I'm willing to try. I'm willing to believe him when he says he's still in love with me, that he's remorseful. I'm willing to try and reconcile, to do whatever it'll take to save my marriage. She says, you're fighting so hard for him. But even if he were to turn around tomorrow and come back to you 100%, would he really love you enough the way you need to be loved? I'm quiet. This is a real fucking question I haven't considered, but I'm considering it now, here, Wasega Beach, 1st of July. No. He wouldn't. So then what are you fighting for? She says, and I see it on her face. The pain of growing up knowing her dad had cheated on her mom. The pain that her mom had decided to stay. She tells me the reason her mom's name is tattooed on her arm is to remind her that her mom was both incredibly strong and incredibly stupid. Strongest woman I know and the stupidest, she says. I'm not sure how I feel about this that her mother was stupid for staying. I think there's something admirable about trying to rebuild a marriage after an affair. But I can't help but wonder, what am I fighting for? A man who only sometimes loves me? A man who treated me with less respect than anyone in my life? No matter how much I love him, I want to be loved the way I love, open, and huge and real and without limits. That's a marriage worth fighting for. I'm done fighting for us. After this night, I never once think about getting back together with him. There will be no possible reconciliation. From then on, I know that will never happen. And I don't want it to. You're listening to Alone, a love story. It's a CBC original podcast written by me, Michelle Parisi. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. Our theme music is by Yehenda. Explore more at cbc.ca slash alone. It's my digital scrapbook with art, videos, music, and the story behind the story I'm telling. Stick with me. I want to tell you about going across the sea. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.